continue with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? We were in process of discussing certain objections that are raised against the truthfulness of the biblical account of God's dealing with men. We were in process of discussing the matter of predestination, which a number of Christian leaders have insisted is the plain teaching of the Bible. Many object to this insistence in that predestination appears to limit the free actions of men and affirm that the universal teaching of the Bible is that man is accountable for all of his actions and that his actions determine his future and that there is an uncertainty about the future as far as we moral agents are concerned. We were in process of reading a number of scriptural passages and we come to Jeremiah chapter 26 verses 2 and 3. Thus said the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house all the words that I command thee to speak to them. Diminish not a word. If so be, they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. Thus we see that God's determined action was dependent upon what they did with God's truth, and that there does not appear to be the limitations of predestination. We have discussed the book of Jonah, as to Jonah's experience with the Ninevites, as God told him to go there and proclaim the destruction of this great city within 40 days. But we read that the Ninevites were spared their just doom because of the universal and humbling repentance from the greatest to the least. And thus God's judgment was modified by their action. We come to the New Testament and we read several very revealing passages concerning the words of our blessed Lord, where, for example, in Mark chapter 13, verse 32, we read these words. Our Lord has been discussing the end of the age and the coming judgment of the great tribulation that is to come upon the world. And then we read, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. So the Son affirms that the future day of judgment is not a subject of knowledge. We also read in Matthew 24, verse 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So here is a knowledge or determination that is peculiar to the Father. But we read in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 7, the fact that the matter of mere knowledge is not what is referred to, but it is the matter of authority. For there we have the definite word, authority, which is rendered power. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons 
which the Father hath put in his own power, or in his own authority. In the first epistle to Corinthians, chapter 11 and verse 3, we read an explanation of this relationship of the beings of the great Godhead. But this I would have you know, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So the Bible reveals to us the profound trinity of the persons of the Godhead, and that there is a headship among the members of the Godhead. We certainly would not know these facts, except the Bible had revealed them to us. And so the Father is revealed to be of supreme authority. Then the Son appears to have a higher position of authority than the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. And so our blessed Lord affirmed that it was within the Father's authority to terminate the age of grace by the period of judgment and that the exact day was not a subject of his knowledge, nor was it a subject of the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And indeed, as we have seen, mere knowledge is not involved, but it was up to God the Father to exercise his proper authority as to when that day should be. All of this appears quite contrary to the idea of absolute fixity, which predestination appears to many to involve. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 5, we read that our continuing in a loving relationship to God determines whether our names will be left in the book of life and not blotted out. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Certainly this is true contingency. If we continue in the love of God as Jude admonished us, we indeed have the sweet relationship and the protective kindness of our God. But if we turn away from his tender love, we certainly have no guarantee that God will not react thereby. Also in the 22nd chapter of Revelation, verses 18 and 19, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So our attitude toward the Word of God is also a condition of our names as true Christians remaining in the book of life. Thus we see from these many assertions, and many more which might be brought to our attention, that there is a revelation of Scripture that man's course is not determined and is not a fixity, but is dependent upon his own actions of will in response to the grace of God. In the second place, under this inquiry of predestination, we also note from the Word of God that not only has God not predestinated all the free actions of his moral creatures, but he has not predestinated 
all his own actions either. A number of times in the Bible, God is said to have repented or changed his mind concerning certain decisions that had been made when the full consequences of these decisions became evident or when his moral creatures made certain decisions. For example, in Genesis 6 and verses 5 to 6, we have previously alluded to the assertion that when God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So when the manifestation of sin became a full development, God is said to have repented or changed his mind concerning the matter of creation. In the 32nd chapter of Exodus, verses 7 to 14, we have previously referred to the golden calf incident, and God's righteous anger was so provoked that he had determined to stamp out the whole Israelitic nation and make through Moses a new nation. Moses interceded for the people with a great humility, and we read in verse 14, And the Lord repenteth of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. The first book of Samuel, chapter 15, records the occasion of King Saul, as we have alluded to also. But in verse 11, we read these words. It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And in verse 35 we read, And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repenteth that he had made Saul king over Israel. So God has told us that he has changed his own plans in this incident concerning Saul. And the full development of Saul's disobedience caused God to regret this decision. In the 106th Psalm and verses 40 to 45, we read of a summary of Israel's unsteadiness and God's changes in his dealings with them. Therefore was the wrath of God kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel, and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant, and repenteth according to the multitude of his mercies. So God's actions were modified according to the reaction of the children of Israel toward his measures of judgment. In the 18th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, it is plainly asserted that God makes changes in his actions according to man's actions. Verses 7 to 10. 
At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. This passage does not appear to have a fixity attached to it, but indicates that God's actions are determined in response to man's attitude toward him. We close this section with Joel chapter 2 and verses 12 to 14, where we have a revelation concerning the character of God and also an admonition as to the manner in which we may find God. Therefore also shall, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this invitation of mercy which thou dost extend to the world. Thou hast sent the Lord Jesus, thy Son, into the world to die for the sins of the whole world. And because of his atoning death, all men may take a proper attitude of repentance and through faith in his death, find forgiveness and restoration. We do pray that many may arise to this admonition in Jesus' name. Amen.